1: Hey, welcome to BizQuick. I'm Julie
2: and I'm Corey.
1: And I feel like I sound really echoey today. How do I sound, Corey? Do I sound okay? You sound fine to me. Awesome. How's your day? Busy. Busy. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we're going to dive in, but before we do, let's let, let, let's talk about our Patreon account cuz you we go. know we was, have one.
2: I was hoping you were going to talk of about that. Of course
1: I am. Yeah. You Patreon, can count on me.
2: patreon.com/bizquick. You can head over there from any device that's connected to the internet, I guess. And sign up, uh, give us a tip for doing the awesome stuff that we do. And in return, you get awesome stuff from us. It's super easy way to support podcasts that you love.
1: Mm -hmm. It's like a tip jar on the internet.
2: Yeah, check it out.
1: Excellent. All right. So listen, we're going to dive into an interesting topic. But before we do, I have a question that's been plaguing me for a few days now. And I meant to ask you earlier in the week, and I'm wondering if I know it's not going to be a topic for our podcast at all. But can I ask you just a really random question about the restaurant? Sure. Okay. So you know how we're just moving towards a cashless society, right? Yes. And most people just tip on their credit cards. Yes. Okay. So if you are a server. Yes. Do you now get your tips as part of your paycheck or do you still get tipped out daily?
2: It depends on the restaurant. So for our our restaurant, for example, we are going to tip. Um, they're going to get their tips on their paycheck. Okay. Because so much, and this was just uh, especially a product of the pandemic, where so many people switched from cash to card mm-hmm. because um, cash became hard to find, apparently. There was the change crisis of 2020. Yes. You know, there was like all of these nonsense things, plus so many orders were being done online that it just... Like a dramatic shift. Like we're talking, what was probably and I'm ballpark numbers because when I was still in the in the full service bar scene, we were probably seventy thirty cash, credit card, and okay. since then it's probably flipped the other way, okay, um, if not more. And so for for us, since we're new and we're gonna have a whole new like team of people working for us it's going to be a bit of a culture shock for some people not that we're going to surprise them that's obviously going to be a part of the conversation that we have with them Um, but just for servers who are used to getting cash daily having to wait two weeks to get that cash and it comes you know in the form of a paycheck but the nice thing there is that and I use nice very very loosely very Mm -hmm. sarcastically is that your taxes get taken out so for a lot of servers you get a big bill at the end of the year because you've collected all these tips and you haven't paid taxes on them. And then you have to pay this big bill at the end of the year. So in theory, you're going to have all of your taxes taken care of that way. Um, but for restaurants that are not, um, that are still in the more more traditional sense of the term, Mm -hmm. they are like, they're still tipping out cap like cash at the end of the day. So if you had, you know, a hundred dollars in credit card tips, you, they, they would give you a hundred dollars, you know, for your tips for the day. Um, but then that just creates this weird thing with the restaurants. So now they have to create a they have to keep a huge amount of cash on hand. Yeah, I
1: was gonna ask about that.
2: So that they can tip out servers every single day.
1: All right. So if I, if so if a server gets some of their tips as cash, they can keep those. Yes. Yeah, but it's and, and, anything that comes in on a credit and card. And I'm going
2: to say this. You are legally required to report your cash tips. <laughs> Whether or not you do is up to you. Is up to you.
1: Okay, all right. Well, I've been, you know, I don't know why, but I've been pondering that for a couple of days, and I'm like, I wonder how that works now. And I was thinking it was probably in the paycheck, but I was also thinking how for a lot of servers that might that might actually really suck because they're used to getting the tips daily, and and they don't, they don't have them.
2: Yeah, and that's um, why we're kind of lucky in the sense that we're going to start off fresh. Like mm-hmm. I would imagine, it would be very hard to train your servers, especially if they if they need that cash every single yeah. day to say, "Oh, now, sorry, you have to wait," you know, until our next pay period to get your, your
1: sorry about your, your luck. Tips. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I've you know been... what?
2: I'm really disappointed in what we talked about. People getting tips a lot, and we didn't get a single. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I I really I missed I missed the boat on that yeah, one didn't well, I? I
2: control the sound effects so
1: you do yeah. you do, but I could still say that's what she said. Correct. Okay, well let's let's talk a little bit about innovation and disruption and competitive analysis, right? So maybe not all three in a single sentence or topic,
2: but sure.
1: I am very very curious about. The whole concept of you're first to market with a product, and somebody comes in and basically, you know, like creates or duplicates your product, right? Sure. They mimic it and then run a huge marketing campaign behind it, steal a lot of your market share, and you're sort of sitting there going, now what? now what do we do right so understanding how small business owners when they have a market share and someone comes in and steals part of it takes part of it like how they can start to claw back some of that market share through the use of a competitive analysis
2: so you want me to answer how they can
1: yeah, okay. well, I just want to talk about it. I mean, Oh, okay. I yeah. didn't know
2: if that was a question pointed at me or if that's just what mm, you want, I just want to talk to, about. It's okay. a
1: conversation. I like to have conversations with you, Corey. Fair enough.
2: So, um, I mean, it's obviously uh, you want to uh, – oh, Yeah, there's so many places. When it comes to doing the competitive analysis, you're going to have that list of competitors, and there's all of those different factors that you need to look at that aren't just um, – the, the price that aren't just the, the actual product because it's uh, when you're competing against somebody that has a larger uh, be- larger amount of cash than you do, you have to get creative in how you compete because it's like people, Amazon hasn't put everybody out of business yet. They're trying, but there are still plenty of online they retailers really out trying. there. <laughs> there are plenty of online retailers out there who still exist for a multitude of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It's understanding what your competition is doing, understanding what they aren't doing well and exploiting that. That would be like one of the first areas I'd look at.
1: Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Like looking for that competitive advantage, right? Of, yeah. Or the gap where you are better better or different really. And then marketing off of that difference is I think key. I, I think so many people don't understand, don't realize the full benefit of doing a competitive analysis.
2: I agree. And for instance, we had um, Jake Thompson on the Mm -hmm. podcast recently. Mm -hmm. And, um, or was he on the radio show? He was on both recently. He's on both. Yeah, yeah. he's on both. But yeah, the conversation we just had with him where we didn't talk about this, but he sells apparel. And Mm -hmm. I was like, how tough is that market? Because literally everybody wears clothes. Like, so there are so many people out there selling clothes that you have to get so hyper-focused to find that, that one person who who's going to be your your target market and compete for them
1: mm-hmm. and not
2: compete for everybody and not pick somebody like Nike and say oh we want to steal their customers it's like no you you create your own customer base mm-hmm. so find out what Nike's doing and then do it differently
1: right right you're just you're just carving out your niche and doing that so all right i want to talk more about this but let's go to break and when we come back we're going to continue this conversation oh hey Let me tell you about Certivium. Certivium is our business that is focused on customer engagement and social media management. Certivium was founded because we had clients who couldn't get their needs met in the marketplace with existing services because they were priced out of the market. So we developed services and solutions that actually focus exclusively on delivering maximum value for the most affordable price possible. Check out Certivium at certivium.com. You can learn all about it in the show notes. All right, welcome back to the show. We have Bill Strahan. Bill is out of Dallas, Texas, and Bill is the founder of Armored Fitness and of Bruce Charles Designs, and we're really excited to talk to Bill about some of the unique products he's got going on, and just some of the some of the challenges and how business has been going for him. So, welcome to the show, Bill. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Of course.
2: Yeah, we're looking forward to this conversation, and we um, kind of got cut off. We got sidetracked from the very beginning of this podcast and started talking about performing a competitive analysis. Um, especially when you have uh, some major players that you you need to need to compete against, um, and we just kind of jumped into that. But before we jump into that topic, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yep. So I'm 54 years old. Been married for 25 years to a lovely woman. I've got four kids from two different uh, marriages. And my whole life, I've just been inventing something or another. My parents' description of that would have been that, you know, early on, I broke things and put them back together, but it eventually became more productive than just taking things apart. And I just, I love to make things, I love technology, um, and every business I've ever been involved in has just been an offshoot of something I was passionate about to start
1: with. Nice. Uh, that passion part is really important. I think for, for entrepreneurs, especially for that long-term success, it's hard to be successful if you're not passionate about what you're doing.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I, I, started programming computers when I was 12. And so I, I like to think my, my first life was all computers. Uh, my wife and I actually, uh, met at a software company. And later after we were married, we formed our own and we ran that until, um, several years ago, and and we eventually had a transition to an executive team that did a fantastic job, let us step away. And then I kind of started a second life that really just focused on uh, things I loved making. And then before I knew it, we were starting other companies and the pattern was repeating itself, but this time none of it is software. So did software until about 40 and now I've done other things since.
1: Let's talk a little bit about Armored Fitness. Um, so I know that is, that's one of your companies and you have for that particular business, you created like a, a sled, right?
0: Yes. So a short story on that was I started doing CrossFit in 2008 because I was fat and out of shape and I hated it. And I never had something that kept me consistently going to the gym. Like a lot of people, I would start in January and then who knows what happened, um, I started CrossFit in 2008. I came into CrossFit Richardson in 2009 and it was just an awesome environment. I loved it. I love the gym owner and he needed to build some pull-up bars. So I, I know how to weld. I, I make things. So I was like, sure, we'll build your pull-up bars. And with the leftover parts, I said, you know, I'll throw together a couple of sleds. And I did. And I loved them and hated them. I, and I loved them because the the training was fantastic. I hated them because of the noise and the scraping and the different materials. And so I said, you know, there's gotta be a better way to do this. There's gotta be a way to put this on wheels so it'll work on any surface, but then there needs to be a different way to create the resistance. And uh, it probably took about 10 days and I had kind of made my very first prototype, took it up to the gym. Everyone loved it. And so that was the, that was the start of what became the expo trainer.
1: If you don't, if you're not, where's the resistance coming from? That's the easiest way to ask the question. (laughs) Yeah. So what I decided to do
0: uh, was actually just use an electric motor, but an electric motor also works as a generator. And so all it does is the front tire, through, you know, through a, a sprocket and chain, it drives a generator on the front of that thing. And the, the great part about that is the resistance isn't linear. And that, that's where the name Expo Trainer came from. The Expo is short for exponential. So what that means is if you want to push it really slow, you could push it with your pinky. But if you want to go really fast, it gets exponentially harder, not just just linearly. So you want to go twice as fast? It's not twice as hard. It's four times as hard. And three times as fast is nine times as difficult. All the resistance comes from that motor on the front. And it creates a really unique training stimulus because there's no failure mode. You don't grind to a stop. You can always do a little bit. And so in that regard, it's a lot like, uh, you know, a salt or echo bike or a rower where, you don't just grind to a stop like a normal sled. You can just always keep going, which that doesn't mean it's easier. It just means you never have a reason to quit working.
2: So, really great idea. But now I'm curious: where does all of the power go that the generator creates?
0: It all—it's it, really just a fancy way of turning it into heat. So, um, yeah, there. Are laws of conservation of energy: <laughs> it can't be—it can't be created or destroyed. Well, you're working really hard. Where does all that go? It's a lot like your car. When you put on the brakes in the car, all that, all the energy of your car is transferred into the brakes. It's the same thing on the Expo. And if you push it by yourself for a while, the motor will get warm. If you're really fit and you want to go out for half an hour, it will be like cup of coffee type of warm. And so all it's doing is it's turning everything you put it in, you put into it into heat, but it's doing it in that exponential way. So it's a great
1: combination. Y'all are nerds. I, was- I know. Well, this is now a science pod.
2: <laughs> this is now a science podcast, Julia. I'm out. Let's talk- I'm all out. right, let's get back into physics. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you you have this uh, this product that you created, and I guess if you could just kind of give us that that quick um, story of how you took it to market.
0: Okay, well that's that, that's interesting because when you said. So you have this product you created, and I'm thinking, oh, no, no, no. I had built one of something, and I've built things all my life. I've, I've built two-seat airplane, electric vehicles. I've just built things my entire life, but I had never sold a physical product. My entire life was digital, and you know, early on, software had a copy button. There's no copy button on something physical, and so the next few years, I got to learn just how little I knew about going from, a prototype to production and, <laughs> and it was a, it was an extraordinarily painful several times. My wife and I questioned like, why are we doing this? Um, but I also had to take into account, you know, I learned software when I was 12. So before I ever did it for money, it had been, I, I did it when I was 15 or 16 So three or four years ago gone by before I did software for money, I shouldn't have expected anything different with a physical product. So it, it was definitely a long road. Uh, the, the, the detailed version of that is, we tried kind of doing them ourselves. We made a, about a hundred that way. We got a local company to fabricate a few hundred more. We went that route, had another local company that made us about three or 400. And then ultimately we ended up going to China. We, we tried to source some things from China and many of the parts come from China anyway. The There's not a US manufacturer of motor or tires or those kind of things that you could deal with. And so we really just took the plunge and went to China and said, let's see if we can figure this out in China. And that was that was where we ended up going. And a couple of trips to China later, we had spent a lot of money. We had spent several years pursuing it. And we finally, maybe five, six years in, we finally had the product that we wanted.
1: Wow. So what year did you make the first one for your CrossFit gym?
0: Oh, goodness. Uh, it probably is nine years ago was okay. I made that first one. And even that had had a little life cycle to it is I made the first one and said, and and I made it from scrounged parts. You know, I, I bought a broken electric scooter. I grabbed some scrap tubing and, you know, some some wheels from Harbor Freight and off we went. Um, but then I made a second one that was actually much nicer. and And before long I realized, you know, we have to have at least two of these. And then people came in from other gyms and said, oh my gosh, where do you get these? You know, I want one, and so it, initially this was not even something I figured we would do. This was not a business pursuit,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but you know, we were. I'm. I'm well, you can't see me, but I'm putting retired in air quotes here. We were retired from our software company by then, so why not get busier than I'd ever been? And that was that was how it all came about.
1: So now they're 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 manufactured in China now. Yes. Okay. Right, we have
0: right. a we have a great relationship with a company over there that we met, I mean, just purely serendipitously, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's been a uh, that's been a great relationship.
2: So you want to jump into the competitive analysis now?
1: Well, I am yes, I do, but because I want, um, you know. So as Bill mentioned um, early on when he when he joined the show, we know Becky, right? So Becky mm-hmm. is part of. Um, my mastermind that uh, we're running, and um, she had mentioned that, you know, there was once you you were out to market, you had pretty good sales, and then somebody copied your prototype. I guess. Am, am I no, saying good they, correctly? Kind of. They they.
0: They made a competing product, but the I, I want one of the full details of it. I will simply say that it was really our fault. Um, you know, I've always wondered, like, how does something like a Xerox, as an example, like for the longest time when I was young, you didn't say, would you make a copy of this? You said, would you make a Xerox of it? Mm-hmm. And, and when the name of a product becomes ubiquitous, you know, it becomes the symbol for the generic. That's always an impressive thing to me. But how do they lose it? Because no one says that anymore. Um, and so what actually happened to us was we would go through a production run and then we would try really hard to figure out how to do it correctly. Because every time we did it, we realized this is not the way to do it. And we went through a period of time there where there was a, a, a large gym chain here in the U.S. that wanted a couple of our products in every gym. And we had just run out of stock and we didn't know how our next production run was even going to occur and we put them off and put them off and put them off. And we just said, we're trying to get it figured out. Stick with us. And I think we were out of stock and out of production for a little over a year when we found out that someone else had said they would essentially make it for that gym. And that was how that came about. And so it was really a failure to execute on our part that created that window for someone else to come in and try and fill the same need that we we had created.
1: Mm. Uh, that's uh, that's that's painful (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) we agree
2: (laughs) (laughs) so uh, so when that happened i mean what what were y'all's next step
0: you know uh the very first thing that happened was the first product they came out with wasn't a real good match for what we had found in the marketplace and so i didn't really give it too much thought other than well the fact that someone else is in here competing with us at least further validates what we're doing. Over the years, they, the their product releases have generated products that are closer and closer and closer to our original design. You know, the, the number of wheels being used, the overall size and weight, that type of thing. And so in some ways, I've just kind of embraced it. I was like, you know what? There's, there's room for everyone in, in this market. And all it's going to do in the long run is make us better. So we'll... We'll compete with them, even though we started it, and we have to earn back kind of a uh, a most recent revision, and we'll take it from there. So, with
2: the with the pandemic a couple of years ago when it first started, everybody had a hard time getting to gyms. Did y'all see any kind of like spike in demand? Yeah. We
0: did. Uh, so the pandemic was, it was kind of a double-edged sword. I'm sure it's been that way for many people in many ways, but on the one hand, we did see a big spike in sales. And at the early stages, we were still able to get our products in a timely you know, fashion from, from China and shipping costs hadn't skyrocketed yet. And we kind of saw the writing on the wall. So we, we really stocked up. And in fact, our, our office slash warehouse, we took two of our offices and emptied them and used them for further storage because we wanted to get more than what would fit in our warehouse. At the same time, there was a downside to that, which is in February of, of that year, I was planning to go to China to work on a couple of other products and was hoping to get prototypes and get them ready for production. And I still have not... I've tried a couple times to do that remotely. It just doesn't work that well, so it kind of crushed some of the new products I was working on. But it created a market and got us out there and, and got it in the hands of a lot of people who work out with it at home.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a double-edged sword. And I'm sure I'm 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 infinitely curious about the other products that you're going to be eventually bringing to market because this is this is a very unique product in it's hard for me to even fathom that it took you only 10 days to create the first one. And that it was just sort of this conceptual design in your head where you're like, "Mm, this, you know, knowing, but the emphasis of it being, I don't like the noise that a you know, traditional sled makes when you're using it. And so you, you found a solution to that problem and created a product and saw really fast demand on that product, which, you know, those are, those are product development people's dreams. (laughs) Well, and, and some of it went
0: like that and other parts were an uphill battle. So the, the great thing in, in, I, I set out to address what I didn't like. I was just fixing what bugged me. Um, I didn't realize what a, what a great impact that exponential resistance would have though and so that, once we saw it, I realized, like, this is something totally different. And when I had built two of them at, at one point, the, the gym owner, shout out to John Marshall at CrossFit Richardson. He and I are great friends, and, and he's, a, he's very open to these ideas. So when I built two identical ones, we brought them up, and we were doing relays with them. And there were maybe 20 or 30 people out there. And there was a, there was a former Dallas Cowboy lineman. And he's pushing the thing as hard as he can, and he gets to the end of the relay, and he turns it around, and about a seventy-year-old grandmother grabs a hold of it, and she pushes it back the other way. <laughs> and and I, I, I looked at that, and I just thought, man, if I could capture like how important that is—that it doesn't matter, like if you're a giant, fit guy, or if you're a seventy-year-old grandmother just trying to stay in shape—you don't need to adjust resistance. You don't need to add and remove weights. And so I really thought like, wow, when people realize how this simplifies things, it will be great. On the other hand, it was so different than anything else people had seen that a lot of people walked by. Uh, it could be we went to some trade shows early. A lot of people walked by early and they just looked at it and kind of laughed like it's on wheels. doesn't matter how much weight you put on it. It's going to be easy to push. And they getting across the idea that no, no, wait, all the resistance is coming from the front. And I, I quickly learned like, don't explain it. Just say, well, yeah, you know, push it. Tell me what you think. And when they push it, they immediately get it. Um, but yeah, it had, it had tremendous unique qualities that once somebody got them, if they, if they had that need, they knew that that filled it. But on the other hand, it was so unique. Sometimes it was hard to make people realize what it did.
2: Yeah. And uh, this isn't this isn't going to sound like a backhanded insult or something, but like it's really hard sometimes, like when you create something that's so good that it's just above everybody's head. Like, you're like, this idea was so good that eh, nobody gets it. <laughs> you know, because like as a gym owner, I'm sure if I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, why do I want to reinvent the sled? Plus, I'm going to have all these people touching it and it's probably going to break and they're not going to understand it and they're going to ask me where the sled is.
0: You know, it's like, no, you don't understand. It's a pretty simple machine. Yep. God. So it was it was uphill battle at times, but uh, it definitely has some unique advantages. So we just continue to market that. And now enough people have seen it or our competitor. In some ways, I've also tried to pe- I've tried to treat having a competitor as the competitor is doing the same thing you're doing with your marketing. You're both trying to raise awareness that this is a potential solution once that awareness has been raised, then it's just up to you to be the one that people buy to meet that need.
1: Yeah. Well, there's also the, the argument of, you know, fitness is a very big market, right? There are, you know, there's, there's CrossFit there, there's the home gyms, there's, you know, you know, um, commercial gyms. So there's a lot of different ways to, to, you know, tap into the market. And so you can have a different ideal customer than your competitor and still get a pretty significant share of the market. And in all honesty, the, you know, the price point I think is a very, that's an that's that's not an as an overly challenging price point to sell at when you're dealing with people who are committed to fitness right cuz you're looking at people they'll they'll spend that on a peloton they'll spend that on a treadmill and they're not getting that strength training in those circumstances. And so any, you know, the educated consumer who understands the importance of strength training, and I also believe this is really good for like knee rehab, correct? Yeah,
0: we've had, we've had a lot of people use this for all kinds of rehab. I've seen stroke victims who can't walk without some additional point of support. I've seen them actually train on it. We have a video somewhere that Becky just loved of a gentleman in a wheelchair because that's his only reliable way to get around and getting out of the wheelchair, grabbing a hold of the handles and pushing the thing across the street. And that was his workout. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of rehab uses for it. And as well as I've had uh, some NFL players come up to the warehouse and pick one up for themselves, which I thought was really pretty cool.
2: That is really cool. I'm guessing Cowboys.
0: Yeah, we had a, a a cowboy player. Actually, this was kind of funny. Uh, this guy saw it and wanted it so bad that somehow he tracked Becky down. He gets over to me, and he's like, he wants it right now. And I said, all right, well, it's Saturday. I mean, I can meet you up at the warehouse. He ended up coming to my house, and he and I were pushing it up and down our driveway. And I was like, this is kind of cool, you know?
1: <laughs> Those are things that do not happen to yes, most people. <laughs> yes, that is really cool. Yeah.
2: Well, we got to, um, we have to start wrapping up the podcast here, but wanted to say, say thank you to Bill and thank you to our listeners. And if you want to learn about, uh, Bill, learn about Armored Fitness, uh, everything that Bill does, head on over to BillStrahan.com. Uh, the spelling for that's going to be in the show notes.
1: Yeah. And if you're interested in working with us, then you can find out everything you need on our website, com. We have a ton of free content We also gladly accept money for our coaching and consulting services. Um, And you can also connect with us on social media. And all of our social media handles are also on our website, sbpays.com.
2: We also have a radio show everybody should check out. It's called Defeat the Chaos. It's every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. And if you like what you heard today on the BizQuick Podcast, make sure to download and rate our show, subscribe, give us a review, and reach out to us if you have any topics.
1: Hey, we wrote a best-selling book. It's called Seriously, Now What? A Small Business Guide to Disaster Preparedness. And I still think it's probably really poorly named because it's really about building a strong foundation for your business. It comes with a digital download workbook. And if you've already purchased it, head back to Amazon and rate and review it for us. We would really appreciate that.
2: That's it for today. I'm Corey. I'm Julie. And this was BizQuick, helping small businesses across America.